This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. We continue our series in, uh, in Philippians, for the good of one another, and uh, we'll be wrapping up chapter 1, looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30, in a sermon that we're calling Together for the Good of One Another. And what Paul is doing in this text is encouraging the Philippians to strive toward a greater unity together based on the example of Jesus' humility by living a life worthy of the gospel. The previous weeks focused on Paul, and now we see a shift of focus to the people of Philippi and a charge from Paul to live out their calling in Christ as citizens of heaven. As citizens of heaven, he calls us to live it out in three ways. Here's the first one. Live worthy lives of the gospel. Live worthy lives of the gospel. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is the essence of our passage. Other translations say, only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. Or conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And the Greek word uh, that translates let your manner of life is only seen one other time in Scripture in Acts 23. And it means this, behave as a citizen. Behave as a citizen. And the language of citizenship is intentional and purposeful. Because this letter is written to the Christians in the Roman colony of Philippi. But there's a level of prestige and honor being a Roman citizen, kind of how I feel about being from the city of destiny, sometimes called uh, Des Trains or Desi Plains. That's the Indian joke. And the people of Philippi were honored to be in their status due to their culture and residency. However, there was an external pressure for the Philippians to continue to pledge their full allegiance to their country and to their Lord Caesar. There was external pressure to still, still live lives as citizens of Rome, loyal to Rome before anything else, which isn't compatible with a life devoted to faithfully following Jesus. But we, have, we all have some level of allegiance or, or low-key, high-key pride of where we're from physically or culturally. For example, I grew up here, so naturally I think the schools that I went to are the best. But I'm talking about Euclid Eagle, the elementary school, Yeah, I don't remember anything about it, but (laughs) I know we're the best. The Friendship Firebirds, junior high, don't get distracted by friendship, man. We're birds that are on fire, like we're we're serious. We're the best. Outgrove Grenadiers, not Grenadine, Grenadiers. What? (laughs) That one I'm not as confident to say, but but we're the best. We're the best. So when there's a connection or a sense of belonging to a community, it influences us, and we absorb the values and perspectives to represent that community, whether it be a school, an organization, a country, a political party, or an ideology. What we believe about where we belong, our citizenship, not just from a surface level geographically, but from a deep Identity level holistically influences us to live out our lives in a particular way. And what do we truly believe in where we belong? Because that sets the trajectory of 
what we're trying to accomplish and what we're trying to represent. But Paul has citizenship in this verse, and later again in chapter 3, verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, from our belonging, we await our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying to these Christians in the context of suffering and conflict, as verse 27 states, only just, just this one thing here, as followers of Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven, and your calling now is not to represent your country and be allegiant to Rome, but to live out your life in your new identity and new community in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not Caesar. And citizens of heaven, you are now called to live worthy lives of the gospel. And Paul is prioritizing this command with the word only, so you know that it's important here. Only live lives worthy of the gospel. Right? What in the world does that mean? Right off the bat, it doesn't seem achievable or obtainable. But every song that we sing ascribes worth to God, not to us. Right? We're not singing, I am worthy. We're not singing that song. You might believe it, though. How can an unworthy person live a worthy life in the gospel of Christ? First, let's see where else this word and phrase is used in Scripture. Thessalonians 2.12, it says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Ephesians 4.1 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. Well, these verses just add on to us not being able to achieve these things. Right? Worthy of God? Worthy of the call? Worthy of the Lord? Worthy of the gospel? How can this be? See, when Scripture uses these phrases, it is exhorting us to conduct ourselves or behave in a way that is on par with the message of the gospel. Sinclair Ferguson in his book, Worthy, Living in the Light of the Gospel, says it like this, live in such a way that your life weighs the same as the gospel. Live in a way that is in keeping with the gospel, that matches the gospel. This is what the balanced Christian life looks like. The gospel is the message of good news of Jesus Christ, and our lives are to be an embodiment of that good news. Put in another way, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, and we are to live in a powerfully saved way. A life worthy of the gospel is a life that receives the good news of Jesus by faith and pursues to faithfully follow the way of Jesus while growing to be more like Jesus. And the key word here is faith. Right? Faith is what allows us to live this out. Right? Colossians 1.10, remember, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him. How do we please the Lord? Well, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But faith is what allows us to live worthy lives of the gospel by living out the message of the gospel. And a few ways that we can match or weigh the same as a gospel with our lives is by this, by constantly loving, continually forgiving, consistently repenting. 
The good news is that in God's love for us as sinners, Jesus died for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And so by grace that we are saved through faith, which leads to fruit in keeping with repentance. Constant loving, continually forgiving, consistently repenting. But faith is not just doing. It's also being. But faith ought to shape us not just in our external works, but in our internal being. The ways we live worldly lives of the gospel is when we are resting in his peace, when we are confiding in his plan, when we are delighting in his presence. But I don't, I don't think any of us are hitting all of these all the time. But imagine us living this out. Right, not just in our doing, but in our being. And just to make things clear, like we aren't the ones giving worth to the gospel. Like we're not letting the gospel down in our failures. No, no, this is what the gospel does for us. This is what it does for us. The worth of the gospel shines through faith, regardless of how weak, of how sinful, of how desperate and messed up we are. This is the work and the offer of the gospel in us and through us. So take a moment and ask the Spirit, man, what am I missing out on what the gospel offers? And it's way more than a message that we hear and then put in our pockets. It's a message that we live out. It allows us to rest. It allows us to trust. It allows us to delight. It allows us to love. It allows us to forgive. It allows us to repent. What are ways that we aren't living in a powerfully saved way? A life worthy of the gospel is a life that receives the good news of Jesus by faith and pursues to faithfully follow the way of Jesus while growing to be like Jesus. And Paul adds more in this very run-on sentence in uh, verse 27. It's not a solo project, it's a group project. A life worthy of the gospel is not meant to be done individually, but collectively in community. How do we do that? Here's the second one. Stand firm together in the gospel. Stand firm together in the gospel. Paul is not physically with the people of Philippi. He was writing from prison, unsure of his release or unsure of his death. And Paul is wishing to hear good things regarding them in their conduct and behavior as a people group, right? His charge here is to stand firm together, unified as one. In other words, standing firm in one spirit and one mind in togetherness. A spirit of togetherness is uh, difficult to achieve. Right? Sometimes from what is happening around us and sometimes what's happening within us. Now, when people come together, we bring our differences, our opinions, our theology, our preferences. It's what makes us human and unique. They're not always negative things. But I'm sure when we get pressed, things get tense. And that can make it difficult for us to stand firm together. We've got a common phrase that we say around here, meet someone. Thanks. But if you haven't met them, forgot their name, that person is new to you, and you have permission to ask their name again. So I see some of us doing this, but there's room for improvement, right? There's room for improvement. 
And so to be of assistance, I have a phrase for myself. Okay? It's help someone and meet someone new to them. Right? Things are getting complicated here. But maybe you've been a victim of this where um, I will introduce you to someone new to you without asking permission. And thus you have met someone new to you and I have helped someone meet someone new to them. Right? Now, this is why I get paid the big bucks right here. <laughs> One addition that helps when I do this is finding a commonality between people and introducing them and, and then sharing that commonality on their behalf. Like last week, between uh, Ben and Noah. Hey, Ben, this is Noah. Noah, this is Ben. You guys don't know each other, but you guys went to Northwestern. They're like, oh, cool. What's the and then I just slowly fade away <laughs> in, the, in the background, never talk to them again. I talked to them, hey Ben. <laughs> the initial common denominator kicks it off. It brings unity. But imagine if I replace that commonality with a dissimilarity. Hey Robin, this is Philip. Philip, this is Robin. That's me. Uh, you go, both go to uh, rival schools. I was getting serious. Uh, you guys both voted for the opposite candidate. Now, you both have different views on the role of women in the church. You have different views on guns and race. You have different views on the ongoing conflict in the Middle East. The list is endless. Imagine that conversation. Imagine what unity looks like at that moment. Though we, aren't, though we weren't always initiating conversations with some of these topics, we have our own thoughts and preferences, and that's okay. We have our own thoughts and beliefs that have the potential to lead us away from being together as one, or even, being, or even bring division. But it's effortless to let our differences and circumstances divide us, or that's the trend without intervention. And what Paul is not saying here is you've got to put your opinion that takes away. But that's not what he's saying, and that's not what I'm saying either, right? I'm not advocating that you need to be quiet on things that you stand for. But he's saying that in order for us to be side by side, to be struggling together in the face of conflict, in the face of disagreement, in the face of suffering, we must be striving toward a greater commonality. The commonality or the common goal to live out the gospel by pursuing to faithfully follow Jesus. It is our faith received by grace that allows us to stand Side by side. Not our preferences, not our personalities, not our team chemistry. All those things are great. But when we rely on our commonality outside of the gospel, to stand firm in the spirit of togetherness, we're standing on shaky ground. However, it's the power of the gospel that allows us to die to ourselves. It allows us to die to ourselves so that we are able to stand firm, united in Christ, so that we can strive together to live out this message and share this message of the gospel. We talked about this in my small group last week. Right? I love that our small groups look different here at Redemption, right? Each of them. 
the purpose of small groups is to create an environment where genuine connection and spiritual growth happens, right? A new group uh, had their first gathering last week. I'm so excited about that. Right, commonality and chemistry helps with groups, yes, especially the social aspect of it. But what truly bonds us, what truly refines us, what truly encourages us, what truly keeps us together is the good news that has changed our lives forever. And that's why it's so crucial for us to continue to gather and worship, to be reminded of our greatest commonality that we ever share, that we can ever share is our faith in Christ. Amen? And when the world sees uncommonality being united by one commonality, they will also see the power of the gospel. And Christ is exalted. So let me ask, let me ask this. Are we living lives standing together in the commonality of our faith? Or are we living lives standing together in the commonality of our faith? If not, what is hindering our togetherness? Have we replaced the main thing? Have we replaced the gospel with something else? As citizens of heaven, we're called to live worthy lives of the gospel, stand firm together in the gospel, and here's the third one, be courageous because of the gospel. Be courageous because of the gospel. Paul is speaking into the intimidation and fear factor of the opposing side, probably Rome, or what can happen to the believers of Philippi as a community due to their allegiance to, to Jesus and not Caesar. He's saying for those who stand together in the gospel is proof of Christ's victory and salvation. And those opposing are opposing God himself, which is proof of their defeat. And to a church that's facing this external pressure to change, to modify, a church that is facing persecution because of, of their faith, man, this is good news to them. This is hope to them. This is what allows them, them to persevere and endure. But he gives a reason for them not to be frightened. Don't be frightened. Right? One version says this, for to you it has been granted, for you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. This is where Paul ties everything up. This verse propels everything that we've read thus far. Because all of this can sound like a to-do list, right? Okay, live worthy lives, got it. Stand firm, okay, got it. Be courageous, got it, break. Let's go do this. It's not a to-do list. But Paul is saying, man, we've been granted the faith to believe. He gives it to us as a gift, out of love, out of grace. And it is in that faith that allows us to be courageous, allows us to be together, allows us to live worthy lives of the gospel as citizens of heaven. Remember, what we believe about where we belong, our citizenship influences us to live out our lives in a particular way. What we truly believe in who we are and where we belong guides us to live that way. And what Christ has already done 
is what allows us to live this out. Allows us to be who we are. Including suffering for his sake. Right? God grants us grace to believe in him and to suffer for him. Same source. There is strength and grace offered to those who are suffering in Christ right now. And that's because of the ultimate grace that was bestowed upon us through the ultimate suffering on the cross. Man, the gospel of Christ, it gives us life. It unifies us. It sustains us through our suffering that God has granted on behalf of Christ. where Paul was encouraging this church. I encourage us today to live out who we are in Christ by faith. Like we looked at earlier in the series, right? We know that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion of the day of Jesus. He will do it. He's faithful. And so, I want us to end our time with reflection of asking the Spirit to show us three things. Are we going to let and have a space for the Spirit to work in us, to stir in us? I want you to ask Him, what are ways that we can live lives worthy of the gospel? What are ways that we can stand firm together for the gospel? What are ways that we can be courageous because of the gospel? Is there someone you need to extend grace to in your lives? That's how you live worthy of the gospel. Is there someone that you need to forgive? Be courageous, live worthy of the gospel, stand firm. Is there some hidden sins that we need to repent right now? Is there an overdue conversation that needs to take place? Be courageous. Is there a prioritization of our heart that needs to take place for the sake of living worthy lives? Is there a reprioritization of our common goal? Have we forgotten how we've been powerfully saved? Have we forgotten that we've been freed from sin and that our belonging is not to a school or to an organization or to a church? It's to Christ. It's to God as a family. And what are ways that we can live in a powerfully saved way? And so at your seats, Let's be an apostle to receive what my, the Spirit might have for us. So this is going to be quiet. Let the, let the Spirit do His work. And so let's take a few moments. These questions will be, will be on, uh, on the screen behind me. And just ask God, what are ways that I can live out in what you have already given me? What are ways that I could powerfully live in a saved way? And so let's take some time to, to pray and ask the Spirit to intervene, to talk to us, and then we'll go on to communion. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. 
For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.